0: Hey, church family. Yesterday, Tiffany and I got to share our hearts for a new song in this next hour, through teaching, through the prophetic, and through exhortation. Would you please consider fasting and praying into this word, and let him direct you as you put action to your faith. Good morning. Yes. morning. Good morning. How's everybody feeling? We wow. yes. have that um, <laughs> sickness going like, yes. like wild? Wow. Yes. Wow. And I had it earlier this week. I feel great right now, except that I need my own personal tissue box.
1: <laughs>
0: As you can see, we're doing things a little bit differently this morning. And that's based in part on something that we feel like the Lord is stirring in our hearts for a new song, prophetically. There's a few things to share about that after Tiffany launches with this word. So I'm going to ask you to do whatever you want to do. All
2: right. So, Father, we we give you this space. (laughs) Um, I give you my weakness, Lord. I give you my inabilities, Lord. I just ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would come and fill. We dedicate this space to you, Jesus. We dedicate this space to you. Thank you, Lord. I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, kids, we're going to start off, and I wanted you guys to be in here with us because we're going to talk about something that I think has a lot of impact for you guys as well so i would like it if one of the (laughs) grown-ups could please read james chapter 2 verse 26 one of the grown-ups james chapter 2 verse 26
3: but just as the body without the spirit is dead so also faith without works is dead
2: just as the body without the spirit is dead so, faith without works is dead. Okay, I'm gonna ask kind of a gruesome question. Have you guys ever seen a dead person? Uh uh-uh. uh. Never good. <laughs> Yeah, you would not want to. Kind of creepy, right? But you can imagine because you've seen movies and you have an imagination. You can imagine what it would be like for someone to be dead. And James tells us here in the Bible in chapter 2 that the body is dead when something happens. What did he say? What has to happen for the body to be dead? Mr. Gregg, can you read that one more time? Yes.
3: The as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead.
2: So, what has to happen for the body to be dead, Taylor? Spirit is dead. Your spirit is gone. Right? Okay, because what makes us alive is not our heart beating and our blood flowing through our body. That's part of what makes us alive. But what actually makes us alive is when we have a spirit, the spirit that God gave us who makes us who we are, living inside this body. Okay? This body is kind of like a tent. Imagine like when you go inside of a tent and you're sleeping in there, right? Is the tent alive? No. No. The tent is just what's holding you, right? Mm -hmm. It's just holding you. So what happens when you get up out of the tent? The tent is empty, right? The tent is empty. Okay. So can somebody show us what it looks like in your imagination when somebody's dead? Someone laying on the ground and doesn't breathe. Okay, show us what that looks like right right here. here. Show us what that looks like. Come on. There you go. Okay, so somebody's laying on the ground and they do not move, right? When somebody's dead, there is no life in them. Can they respond to you if you talk to them? No. No. Can they see what's going on? No. No, they can't. Can they feel anything? Can they hear anything? No. 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 There's nothing except this empty tent laying on the ground, right? Mm -hmm. So James is telling us that without our spirit living inside our body, our body is dead, right? It's empty, it's dead. It's just the shell, right? And then he compares that to something really important. He says, just like that, just like when your spirit leaves your body and your body's left dead, it's the same exact thing as when we say we have faith but we have no works. Now, works is kind of a more of an old fashioned kind of word. So let's break that down a little bit. First of all, what is faith? Like trust. Faith is like trust, right? Another word, another way we could compare faith is like belief, right? When you believe in something, you have faith in it. Or someone, right, Reef. Okay, now the Bible tells us in Acts that if you believe... If you believe, so if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, in other words, if you say Jesus is King, he's God, he made the whole earth and he's Lord of my life. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay. If you speak, I confess that Jesus is God. And if you believe in your heart, he's Lord, you will be saved. But... How does that tie into what James just told us? Is that enough? If we believe that Jesus is Lord, but we don't do anything to match up with that belief, then what is that like? Being no. dead. It's like being dead. Exactly, Taylor. Okay, now I want you guys to think about this. This is really serious stuff. Okay, remember how Reef laid on the floor and showed us what a dead guy looks like? Yeah. Okay? I want you to imagine that now, kids. I want you to imagine that when we say we believe in Jesus, but we don't do anything to match up with that, it's just like that dead person laying on the ground. Good. That's good wow. To wow. Okay. So let me, let's bring this home. Let's give some examples. Okay. So what if you are in class with somebody and you know, you feel the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to share with this person about Jesus. Faith without works is dead. Do we want to act like a dead man? No, we don't want to act like a dead man. We want to actually step out and match our works, match our actions to our faith and say, I'm going to share the good news of Jesus with this person because that's what actually makes my faith come alive. When my actions match what I say I believe. Right? So what if you see somebody on the street who's homeless and you feel the Holy Spirit whispering to your heart, that person and you walk right on by what happens in that moment
1: you're not doing what you're being told
2: to you. yeah your faith is like the faith of a dead, dead man so this is what we want to remember. This is what I wanted to share with you guys because when you guys go outside, all of the grown ups are gonna be talking about this on a, on a different level. But I want you guys to be able to understand what we're talking about because when you guys go home today, I want you and your parents to chat about this. What does it look like to have my faith actually be alive and not be like that dead man laying on the ground without a spirit in him, okay? You guys are done all right guys this morning the Lord gave me a drop (laughs) so what you're getting is really raw it is not polished at all it is a fresh rhema word from the Lord so bear with me as I work it out and maybe fumble my way through So if we're going to start with that verse as our kind of our keystone verse, Faith without works is dead. I want us to remember that kind of hold it in our minds because we're going to circle back around to that verse multiple times this morning. "Faith without works is dead." And as the Lord began to speak to me this morning, that really began to hit me deeply that just like a dead man, if we don't match our works to our faith, then our faith is basically useless, right? This is what James is saying. James goes on, if you read the chapter, all of chapter two, you see that James is saying, what good is it if I have faith, but I don't have works? That's what he says. What good is it if I say to somebody who is in need of clothes, in need of food, go, be warmed, be filled, but I don't actually feed them and clothe them? My faith is useless, basically, is what he's saying. So he's challenging the church that we have to match our works to our faith and our faith to our works. They go tandem, Mm -hmm. simultaneous. So we're going to read a bit of scripture here. Can somebody read now? James 1.25.
3: So whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do.
1: Okay.
2: Not being a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. A doer who acts. Let's stay in James chapter 2. And let's begin now to focus on the example that James gives us. He is going to give us a very tangible example of somebody who was a doer who acted instead of a hearer who just listened. And we're going to talk for a while this morning about Abraham. So I'm going to read to you starting in verse 18 from chapter 2. But someone will say, you have faith, but I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. In other words, you believe that God is Lord. You do well, but even the demons believe and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless So now he's going to show us. He's going to demonstrate to us. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Okay, we're gonna stop there and back up to verse 22 again. You see that faith was active with his works and faith was completed by his works. Okay, that word completed in the Greek, we're gonna do a little Greek word study here today. That word is the word teleio. I don't know how to pronounce it because I'm not a Greek scholar, but it's basically T-E-L-E-I-O-O. Can anybody think of an English word that we might get from that?
1: See. Telegraph. telegraph.
2: Telegraph? Yeah. yeah. Long see long distance, yeah, okay. Dave actually got it right there to be able to see far away. How about the word telescope? Telescope comes from that root also. The word completed actually has this meaning in the Greek to reach the final stage, to reach the end. It is illustrated with the old pirate's telescope unfolding or extending out one stage at a time to function at full strength, capacity, effectiveness full capacity effectiveness. So if we take that back and put it back into the verse, we see that Abram's faith operated at full capacity effectiveness when it was paired with his works. So a telescope, how is a telescope working? What does it do to function? It magnifies. It magnifies. That's one of its functions
0: focuses on one
2: thing. It focuses, right? It brings greater focus or definition, maybe? Clarity. Uh-huh, greater clarity. Okay, so I actually learned something I had never known before today, that a telescope functions in three ways. It's three things that cause a telescope to function the way that it does. And without all three, it is not a telescope. Okay, first of all, it has light-gathering power. A telescope cannot function unless it gathers light. In fact, it's actually almost like a light bucket is what I read. So it pulls in all the extra light so that whatever it's focused on can be illuminated. If it wasn't for the extra light, you wouldn't be able to see what it was focused on. Okay? The second thing it does, it has resolving power. In other words, it focuses on the details, just like Jeff was saying. One thing that I read said that there's a telescope that it can actually, from almost like a mile away, count the number of hairs on, uh, was it George Washington's head on a quarter? Like the little strands. Okay? It's able to look at the fine details and see clearly. And then the third thing is it has magnifying power. It enlarges, right? It makes small objects larger. So let's, let's pull this in. If it's our works that actually bring our faith to completion, right? And those works are like a telescope. In other words, they bring clarity to our faith. They illuminate. Our faith. They cause our faith to be larger. How important is it that we match our works with our faith? Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that one more time. If it's our works that illuminate our faith, that bring clarity to our faith, and that enlarge the scope of our faith, how important is it that we match our works to our faith? Okay. There is no faith without risk. In fact, if you ever hung around um, the prophetic collective at all, you know that we like to say a lot of times faith is spelled R-I-S-K. When we are choosing to walk by faith, what that actually looks like is we're choosing to step out in risk. So when we're thinking about, okay, if our works are what bring completion to our faith, if we're actually walking by faith, what does that mean we're walking in? Risk. Risk. Oh, did everybody just get uncomfortable? I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. It makes me uncomfortable because I know that the Lord is speaking this word to us as a body for a reason. He's basically saying to us, beloved, beloved. Get your big boy pants on. Get your big girl pants on. Because it's time to step out in risk. This is how your faith is made complete. This is how it's brought to its full scope. Is by the risk that you step out in. In other words, comfort has no part in faith. They don't match. They don't go together. Now. Abraham is called the father of faith. We're going to come back to Abraham now for just a minute. Why is he called the father of faith? Why was his life so significant compared to all the other found, uh, no, founding fathers? <laughs> Sorry, I was just in Williamsburg a couple weeks ago. Um, compared to all of the other fathers of the faith. Why is his faith so important? In fact, this morning as the Lord was speaking all of this to me, I was like, Lord, but what about Noah. Right. I mean, if you read Hebrews 11 and you read the hall of faith and you see all these men and women of faith, Noah came before Abraham. Right. How come he wasn't the father of faith? I mean, he took a lot of risk. Right. He actually obeyed God, stepped out in risk and built this crazy thing that nobody had ever seen before and believed God for a word that he had spoken that he really had no evidence for. So why wasn't he the father of faith? Well, the word has a lot to say about Abraham. Can somebody turn to Romans 4? And we're going to start in verse 13 and read through verse 21. As we're reading this, I want you to understand that Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, is a master theologian. And basically, the book of Romans is the perfect theology of Jesus Christ. And Paul is taking all of his incredible genius and all the downloads of the Holy Spirit and he's he's basically mapping out for the Roman church what perfect theology looks like. Not just about Jesus in belief, but also how that looks in practice, which is what he hits at the end of the book of Romans. So when you get to the end of most of Paul's books, that's where he begins to show you, "Oh yeah, all that stuff I just taught you about Jesus, this is how you actually walk it out in all of his books. But right now, because we're in chapter four, we haven't gotten to that part yet. We're in the perfect theology part. And he's in the middle of talking about the difference between Adam and Jesus and how Jesus was the second Adam and the perfect Adam. But he's going to be talking about the importance of faith in understanding all of this. So we're picking up right in the middle of this Discussion that he's having in his letter to the Roman church. So who has Romans 4.13?
3: For the promise to Abraham and his offspring was that he would be heir to the world and did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the uh, adherence to the law of who are to be the heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but to also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all of us. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom we believe, who gives life to death and calls into existence the things that did not exist. In hope he believed against uh, hope, And he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offsprings be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he knew strong in his faith that as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God would be able to do what he had promised.
2: Okay. And then the next verse says, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So this is basically giving us a description of Abraham's interaction with God in faith, right? God shows up, tells Abraham, I'm gonna give you a son. You are going to be the father of many nations. In fact, in the seed that comes from your body, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, right? And Abraham had a choice at that moment to either believe God or say that's crazy are you kidding me I'm 75 years old and my wife doesn't even have a period anymore it's impossible <laughs> right impossible so at that moment Abraham had a choice and what I love here is that in verse 20 it says no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God so, this is what the Lord began to highlight for me this morning. No unbelief made him waver. Now, I want us to imagine what it would have been like to be in Abraham's shoes. For 25 years, he carried the promise of God. From the time he was 75 till the time he was 100, he had to carry the promise of God, choosing to believe that God was actually going to show up and eventually do what he said he would do, even though all of his circumstances were screaming the opposite. And the word tells us, Paul tells us here, no unbelief made him waver. Now, when I look at Abraham's life, I look at some of the things that happened to him. Like he went down to Egypt. And what did he do when he was in Egypt? He lied. He lied to Pharaoh and said, hey, my wife is actually my sister. So he wouldn't get hurt. Right? I look at that and I think, okay, that seems like kind of weak faith, right? Mm -hmm. Then when he came back, eventually Sarah says, hey, God said we'll have a son. I've got an idea how to make it happen. So what does he do? He takes Hagar as his concubine, basically, and they have a son together. Now, I look at that, and in my viewpoint, I think, pretty weak faith, right? But here's what the Lord began to show me today. If what Paul said is true, if we believe that what Paul said is actually true, no unbelief made him waver, then we have to look at Abraham's life through a different lens, I have to look at his life through a different lens. And what the Lord began to show me is, when he went down to Egypt and lied about Sarah, what was the root in his heart? Was it unbelief? No, it was fear, it was fear. He didn't have enough confidence, he had greater fear. When he acquiesced to Sarah's suggestion, was that a lack of faith? No, it was presumption. I believe you, God. So this is how it's going to happen. Let me help. Right. (laughs) None of us have ever done that, right? (laughs) Let me help you out, God. This is how it must look because I'm looking at my circumstances and my circumstances are saying the opposite of the promise. So this must be how you're going to make it happen. So he walked in presumption. There was a season of our lives where we moved to Nashville and then we came back from Nashville. And and throughout that six, seven year season, four years in Nashville and then coming home. I really wrestled with the difference between faith and presumption. Because when we went to Nashville, our whole lives basically fell apart circumstantially. And we lost everything. We lost our homes we lost all of our money. (laughs) I had an accident on the way and I lost my health for a year. I mean, it was nasty. It was gnarly, right? And and I'm thinking about, okay, but God, when you told us to go to Nashville, I presumed it would look like this. Mm -hmm. And so I wrestled with God. I wrestled, I wrestled. Then we came home because God told us to come home. And when we came home, I presumed it would look a certain way. And we then proceeded to live in 11 homes, right? Is it? No, 18 homes in 11 months. And I wrestled with God. What is going on? I presumed it would look a certain way because God spoke it. Don't you think that Abram presumed that same thing? You spoke it, God, so it must going to be like this. But Paul says, no unbelief made him waver. No unbelief. Now, I want to suggest something, that this is why he's the father of our faith, because the word of God does not say that about Noah. We know that Noah was a man of faith, but nobody says about Noah, no unbelief made him waver. That's a strong, strong statement. And so here's what I want to suggest. When God commanded Abraham to take Isaac, the result of the promise, and go and sacrifice him on the mountain, that was the moment that his faith was completed through his works. That was the moment of illumination of his faith. That was the moment where all the details came into resolution. That was the moment where his faith was magnified because he said, okay, this looks exactly opposite from my promise. But his faith was not in the promise. And beloved, this is where I want to challenge us this morning. Our faith, contrary to what Christendom may tell us, what mainstream Christianity tends to say, you know, we tend to hear this phrase like, do you have faith for that? Do you have faith for that promise? I have faith for that. I'll believe for that. I'll pray for that. I don't believe that's correct theology. Because I believe correct theology is I have faith in the one who gave me the promise. That is where my faith lies because if my faith is in the promise and my promise starts to look different than what I expected, it would look what happens to my faith.
1: Good.
2: Yeah. That's
1: good. Mm -hmm.
2: So Abraham had faith in the one who gave him the promise, so much so that he could take the promise and offer it on the altar and say, Father, I know you. I know your heart. I know your character. I know your will. I know your ways. I know that you will never fail me. So much so that you could resurrect my promise even after. It's killed can somebody turn to Hebrews 11 starting it oh actually just two verses 17 and 18.
3: By faith Abraham when God tested him offered Isaac as a sacrifice he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son even though God had said to him it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned
2: And it goes on to say in verse 19, he considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Okay, by faith Abraham when he was tested. Beloved, I want to submit to you that God will always test our faith. Always, always. If we choose to step out in risk and match our faith with our works and match our works with our faith, God will come along and say, let's test that. Why? To prove to you that you have it. Come on. Come on. He already knows. That's right. Yeah. In fact... Because in James 1, 2 through 4, it says this. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials or tests of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Guess what? That word perfect? Perfect. It's the same word, tele whatever that Greek word is, right? It's the same word that your telescope may be fully extended and that you can see perfectly complete. So God is going to test your faith and he's going to ask you, will you choose to endure so that you may become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? So James goes along to say, hey, don't be surprised. Why would you be surprised? This is actually a good thing. Brothers and sisters, match your works with your faith and then expect that God is gonna come along and test it so that you can stand firm and be perfect, lacking nothing. Mm. Mm. I believe that the Lord is desiring to test our faith by asking us to match our faith with our works. The thing about it is, with Abraham offering up Isaac, there was a specific instruction from the Lord, right? So again, we don't wanna swing into presumption and just start to think, I'm just gonna walk by faith and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that and I'm gonna do this and that and this and that, right? That falls into presumption. We have to wait and hear what the Spirit is saying. We lean into his whisper and he begins to whisper to our hearts. And as he does, if we have ears to hear and eyes to see, we'll know what the spirit is saying to us and we'll begin to step and walk by faith, matching our works with our faith. As we do that, the call that he has on our lives will be made perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This week, the Lord spoke to me very strongly. Chris and I were praying together. We were praying about something completely different. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just dropped in my spirit. And he said, it's time to multiply. And I was totally taken aback totally shocked i mean not not that it's a shock because he's been saying this to us for a while right but i I was shocked because it was completely out of context for me it's like praying about these other things lord lord speak to me lord and all of a sudden boom he says it's time to multiply and it was not a gentle whisper it was a it's time to multiply and i said okay lord and he basically said If we continue in the way that we have been going, we will become a club, a Christian club, because we will be comfortable in our relationships. We will be comfortable in our focus. We will be comfortable in enjoying each other and all the good, beautiful things that come when we get together that are supposed to happen, but we will lose our focus on the world, on the lost on those who need to know the father and his heart for them. And so the Lord basically was giving me a little spanking. And he said, how much do you believe me for this, Tiffany? And I I said to him, but Lord, what about, we don't have enough worship leaders. We don't have, you know, what power, who's going to lead what homes, blah, 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 blah. And he said, obey me now. So, I believe it is time for us to match our works with our faith and begin to step out and do what the Lord has actually called us to do and to take our eyes and put them where they need to be, put them on the world, put them on the lost, put them on those who are dying daily and actually live like we believe that God wants to save them. The Lord is saying It's not enough to value the treasure right here. That's good, I want you to value what I've given you, but will your heart burn for what makes my heart burn? So, I'm gonna hand it off to my husband.
0: One of the things that happens when we step out of faith and act on we do the works we act on that faith and then god tests us and it falls apart is that we retract we think oh i don't want that to happen again Mm -hmm. new song has been through that because when we were birthed two and a half years ago into the foundation into the core of who we are was this idea of multiplication it's supposed to multiply it's not supposed to be stagnant the very first thing I said at our very first meeting is look around the room and realize that everybody you're looking at is not going to become your comfy cozy best friend because you're all on mission Mm -hmm. so two years ago We did that. We commissioned people and launched, and it hurt. Mm -hmm. It was hard, Mm -hmm. and it didn't look like what we expected it to look like. Mm -hmm. And so just like you see in many of these biblical examples, and like you've seen in your own life, when you try and God tests, there's been recoil. And so the Lord's been very gracious with us, very tender. It's
1: time to multiply. Mm-hmm. We're
0: like, hey, I think the Lord might be saying something about something weird, like multiplication. <laughs> let's, let's pray together. Let's fast. And then he's like, multiply. Like, Jesus is speaking. Let's talk to the whole church about it. And now I believe he's shouting. So I want to go back to kind of the very beginning, the idea from where new song was birthed as far as multiplication is concerned, because it's based on what I believe to be a very simple misunderstanding of the biblical term pastor. Now, a lot of us in the house church context don't have trouble with this. But we may still, because of our collective cultural background in church, we may still have a hard time with this. If I say God has called all of you to be a pastor, our first thought is, well, I'm not going to stand up in front of a podium and teach everybody and lead a church because that's what culture has projected on us about what that term means, and it doesn't. That's not the biblical meaning. If we had time, we'd open up each gospel and Acts where something of the Great Commission is spoken at the beginning of Acts and near the end of each gospel. So important that it's repeated five times, basically. Go and do likewise. It's said several different ways, but that's the idea. Jesus spends three plus years with these guys and gals that he pours his heart into. And the entire time, he's demonstrating what a good shepherd looks like. Have you ever thought about how many times he uses the word shepherd? I didn't have time to look it up, but you can just think about it. It happens all the time throughout the Gospels. He's constantly giving parables about shepherds, talking about himself as a shepherd, explaining what that is, because this is how he's living with the disciples. We might say mentor, father, discipler, etc. The idea is. One who cares for Mm -hmm. others. Mm -hmm. One who cares for those that he is responsible to care for. Mm -hmm. A shepherd. So he spends three plus years behaving this way with his disciples and then finishes with this one statement. It's like, let's say you have a family and you're raising your kids and God told you tomorrow I'm taking you. You're coming home. What would be the one? I mean, it's like you got one shot to tell your kids and your family one thing. Uh, I I love you a lot and I'm sorry for my failures and be good to your mom and do great in life. I mean, what would you say? (laughs) What would you say? And Jesus bodily for the last time is there with his disciples and it's the last thing that he has to say. And he says, as you go. Make disciples, Mm -hmm. baptize them, and teach them everything I taught you. What's he saying? What's he saying? Shepherd. 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 Therefore, I believe the call on every believer's life is to pastor.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I'm not talking about whether or not they have the gift of pastoring. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about discipling, shepherding. None of us can say, well, that's not a personality match for me. Good. None of us can say there's a million reasons why I can't do that right now. Mm-hmm. None of us can say anything but yes, Lord. Mm-hmm. So back to this question. If I ask a group of Christians, God has called you to pastor. And the first thing that comes to your mind is standing before a podium, teaching and leading a church. Mm-hmm. I want you to put the big X through that. Mm -hmm. That's not what I'm asking you. Can you think instead of being in your home at mealtime and your neighbors have been invited into your house and you're developing a relationship with them so that you can care for them? You guys, did the disciples know that they were being discipled on the (laughs) front end? No, they were pre-believers. They were just following somebody who... Looked powerful mm-hmm. because they were looking for the Messiah. Mm-hmm. They did not think, yeah, this is about me being discipled. Mm-hmm. Neither will your pre-believer neighbors. Mm-hmm. They'll just know, wow, this person is so loving. This person <clears throat> seems genuinely concerned about me, genuinely caring about me in their nature. It's kind of odd. Mm-hmm. So, in like manner, everyone here in this room is called to pastor. I believe for all of you at one time or another, sooner rather than later, it means literally churching in your home. You are his hands and feet. You are called to multiply yourself. You have spent time with Jesus. You've walked with him. You've been tested by him. And for each one of you right now who have walked with him side by side, some of you for years, he's asking, are you ready to do this? Mm -hmm. Now, in this context, for those who call New South churches their home, We're adding to that, this challenge, because of how we believe the Lord is speaking, how we're convinced the Lord is speaking in this hour. Will you launch in your home? Do not go to the reasons you cannot. Mm -hmm. If you do that, this is a Mm non-starter. Because how many don't have reasons? (laughs) Don't go to those reasons. I'm thinking about Jason and Andy, who toward the beginning of summer, maybe May-ish, and, and they've got all the reasons not to do this, but they decided, we're doing it. We're starting a youth group in our home. And they bring young people together and they disciple them and they pour into them. Jason, do you have a million reasons not to do that? Uh, yes. Sir. Yes. <laughs> <the daily>. Yes. <laughs> Everybody does, we all do. Set those reasons aside and ask yourself, what is Jesus asking me right now? Now we know in general, he's asking you to shepherd, but I'm saying specifically within the new song context, can you hear his still small voice louder than your emotions regarding the million reasons why not? You may ask him and he may say, trust me, this is not the moment but have you asked him, have you asked him? What this will look like is those who feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit and the Lord speaking, and there's a confirmation in our midst, the leadership team is confirming yes, God's hand is on this, then there is a process. We don't want it to be haphazard and we want you to feel supported. But the Lord's already taken us through a season where he's removed all of these props that we thought were necessary in order to have church at your house. (laughs) Hasn't he? (laughs) Alyssa and Andres are out of town right now, but you could ask them if they were here. How long did they go in Santa Barbara without a worship leader? And this was our most worshipful house church.
1: Yeah, They were all
0: about worship. So our, our most worshipful house church where the, the worship was so compelling and beautiful that I wanted to record it every single Sunday and post it all over the universe, which I never did. But it was just absolutely angelic. It suddenly hit a season with zero worship leaders and they continued to worship beautifully. Do you see an admonishment in any of the New Testament letters of launching a church with a worship leader? Just think about the systems and formulas that we have adapted and have said, this is how we do church. You guys, we have to let those things go. Every person brings his or her gift. And we come together and we minister to Jesus. And we do it until he begins to minister to us. And those gifts start to come out.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: somebody brings a word just like Tiffany did just this morning. She got this word this morning. Mm -hmm. And so the Lord will stir somebody's heart and they'll go, the Holy Spirit spoke to me this morning through the scripture. Mm -hmm. And it looks like this. And they give this rain a word. And the Holy Spirit stirs somebody else regarding a psalm. This has been heavy on my heart. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit gives a prophetic word that's for that group of people. The Holy Spirit brings a word in tongues and an interpreter. The Holy Spirit brings testimony and we respond and do this. The Holy Spirit brings a song. How many times have we been sitting here and all of a sudden somebody just begins singing? That's what it looks like. So we're going to pray. This together, what Tiffany shared with me this morning, when, when she said that she sensed that we should flip it and do worship at the end, is because we don't want to just deliver this and say, "Okay, have a great day." Instead of just delivering a word, we're going to pray right now and go right into worship because of how all of us know Jesus loves to speak to us through worship.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm
0: because we become tender before him and we let go of those million things. All the reasons why not. And we just worship him. We just, we yield to him, we surrender to him. We allow him to speak.
1: Roll this. This word, it's out of the mouth of God. 1971,
0: this was the first teaching I ever gave
1: mm-hmm.
0: on this passage.
1: Faith is a function of works. Works is a function of faith. Mm-hmm. And what you heard today, believe it, and walk in. Mm-hmm. When I picked up the Bible, because I heard those, that passage, and I thought, man, okay, I look that up. Mm-hmm. Took the book up. And that's where it opened. <laughs> that's not an accident. <laughs> so I'm here to tell you that this is the deal. This is what we're going to do. You to
0: obey. Mm-hmm. I thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are speaking. I thank you for each person in this room and for your heart
3: for each one of these shepherds.
1: Uh, speak, speak, of God. Speak, you, God. speak, God. Speak please- in God. Speak, God. Believe in God. We lift up your name, Lord Jesus. We lift up your name, Lord Jesus. We dispassionate. So you're going to stir our
0: hearts. So you're going to speak. You're going to lead us. You're going to guide us, Lord God, as we abandon ourselves oh, Jesus. to ministry. Jesus. Ministry at your feet.